Welcome to the Vincentian Heritage Podcast, a selection of readings on Vincentian history, spirituality, and praxis to help sustain the members of the Vincentian family in our shared efforts to live out the mission, vision, and values of St. Vincent de Paul. This week's podcast is entitled The Virtuous Personality of Blessed Frederick Osnum, published in 2008. It was written by Reverend John Rybolt. It is read by David Edward Sims. This study sets out to present the personality of Frederick Ozanam, which, among other facets of his life, has moved the Church to declare him among the blessed. Virtues do not exist in the abstract except in theoretical treatises. In the case of Ozanam, consequently, his virtues cannot be abstracted from his relatively short life. Rather, he enfleshed them as husband, father, attorney, professor, and moving spirit behind the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. The famous Dominican preacher and friend of Ozanam, Henri Dominique Lacordaire, called Frederick, quote, that type of Christian as ancient as his religion, as modern as his time. Frederick lived in times of great upheavals in church and society. The years 1813 to 1853, his lifespan, pulsed with Catholic revival in France. In those years, religious communities, such as the Congregation of the Mission, were reborn, private schools reopened, and works of charity and mission flourished. This review of his personality follows his life in that exciting period by examining its major phases. First, education and formation, 1813-1836. Second, his legal career, 1836-1840. And third, his definitive vocation, 1840-1853. First, education and formation, 1813-1836. Antoine Frederick Ozanam was born on the 23rd of April, 1813, in Milan, Italy. Because of his poor health at birth, Frederick received baptism at home. His family remained in Milan until the fall of Napoleon and the accession of Austrian rule in northern Italy as the result of the treaties of 1815. Changed political and economic conditions led the Ozanams to return to France, and they went back to their city of Lyon. Frederick was the fifth of 14 children born to Marie Nantas and Jean-Antoine Ozanam. His parents, French with Jewish heritage, both were greatly devoted to the poor. His father, Jean-Antoine, although an impoverished physician, treated many of his patients free of charge, while Marie, his mother, visited the sick in their homes. The Ozanam family shared the experience of many contemporaries, both rich and poor, in losing ten of their fourteen children in death. Besides, little Frederick contracted typhoid fever at age six, and he endured poor health throughout his life. The family also endured a certain measure of poverty amid the revolutions of their age. These, plus his frailty, may help to account for his receiving his primary education at home. 
His mother and his beloved elder sister Elisa were his teachers. Those who knew him testified that his physical weakness matched a meekness, even a sweetness, in his character. Yet, he was a quick learner, and, under his mother's watchful supervision, he developed a strong personal piety. He lost his beloved Elisa, age 19, when he was seven, and he reflected in later years, quote, On many occasions have I not seen my parents in tears, when heaven had left them but three children out of fourteen. But how often, too, have not those three survivors, in adversity and in trial, counted on the assistance of those brothers and sisters whom they had among the angels? Such are indeed also of the family, and are brought back to our minds in acts of unexpected assistance. Happy is the home that can count one half of its members in heaven to help the rest along the narrow way which leads there. At age eight, Frederick then began his formal scholastic education at the Royal College, a secondary school. His first years there were noteworthy, as he admitted later, for periods of being a bad boy and lazy. Of course, losing family members and feeling the sting of poverty and his own weakness, it is no wonder that he acted out in ways typical of a pre-adolescent. He was nevertheless happy to be able to study. As he prepared to make his first communion at age 13, he grew in his commitment to his faith. He took this resolution on that occasion, quote, I will affirm with my whole heart my faith, because in this age it is so exposed to being lost. Fairly soon after this serious undertaking, he began to experience what he called a painful period, during which he underwent doubts about the faith he had so bravely promised to affirm. It is not surprising that, in an age of great skepticism, a young man, recently removed from family surroundings and plunged into the rigorous classical and philosophical studies, would question his beliefs. Under the tutelage of Joseph Matthias Noirot, a priest and professor of philosophy, Frederick was able to find his way through this crisis of religious doubt. He then resolved, quote, to consecrate myself to the propagation of the truth after having the happiness of knowing it in the midst of doubts which my spirit and those of my young friends had so cruelly suffered. To be sure, this experience strengthened Frederick to support the Church, yet he always appreciated the struggles of others, Catholic and non-Catholic, who could not. He resolved to live not merely on the level of theory, but in fact, a life of moral perfection with, quote, a true and inflexible conscience. His friends admired this strength of his. In 1830, at the close of his secondary studies, he experienced the July Revolution. During this upheaval, with its strong anti-clerical bent, his love for the Church deepened, and he began to fulfill his First Communion promise to defend it. 
Thus his first article appeared in print. In it, he rejected the materialistic and pantheistic conception of religion promulgated by the adherents of Claude-Henri de Rouvois, Count of Saint-Simon. At the same time, Frederick was apprenticed to an attorney in Lyon, thus beginning his legal career. In 1831, attentive to his father's wishes, Frederick left home to study law at the Sorbonne, the University of Paris. His father noted in his diary, quote, Frederick has refined, pure, and noble sentiments. He will make an upright and enlightened judge. I venture to hope that he will be our consolation in our old age. In Paris, his growing number of Catholic friends brought him into contact with the leaders of French Catholic life, such as Chateaubriand, Montalembert, Ampère, and others. Gradually overcoming his shyness, he continued his work of defending the Church through his letters and intense conversations. By the end of 1831, he had developed a friendship with Emmanuel Bailly, one of the most prominent Catholic laymen of his time. This professor of philosophy, director of the newspaper The Tribune Catholique, book publisher, and founder of the Conference of History, also loved St. Vincent de Paul. Bailly's family, noted for its work among the poor, maintained a strong practical devotion to the saint. Emmanuel's father, for example, treasured the large collection of manuscripts which had belonged to St. Vincent. These had been placed in his keeping during the Revolution of 1789. Bailly's uncle was a Vincentian priest, and Emmanuel's son was named Vincent de Paul. Bailly's wife, who shared Emmanuel's devotion to the poor, had undertaken with a friend to visit the poor in the care of Sister Rosalie Rondu, a daughter of charity. Discouraged in the work by the reception she encountered, Madame Bailly agreed with her husband that, quote, it was not women's work. Men and young men were wanted for it. The long history of the Bailly family's interest in St. Vincent was providential, inasmuch as young Frederick began to imbibe it under the guidance of Emmanuel Bailly. Frederick's devotion to practical charity helped him to formulate one of the great means to overcome the anti-religious sentiments of the professors and students he met during his university days. At first, Ozanam countered by helping to organize the first of the series of renowned Lenten conferences to revive and affirm the Catholic faith. Held at the cathedral, Notre Dame de Paris, and given by his friend Lacordaire, these conferences served, and still serve, to galvanize interest in an intellectual defense of the Church. Yet this did not suffice. A challenge arose at the same time to put the revived faith into practice. The same St. Simonians, whom Frederick had challenged in Lyon, had been gaining supporters at the University of Paris. One of them, a certain Jean Broy, belonged with Frederick to the Conference of History, Bailly's debating society. 
At one of these meetings, Broet challenged its Catholic members to put their historical theories into practice by working for the poor and oppressed as St. Simonians were advocating for their own followers. Stung by Broet's taunt, Frederick recognized that the works of the Catholic members of the conference, while laudable, were often individual and unorganized, and that they should go to the poor. The first to do so, all members of the Conference of History, were Félix Clavet, Jules Deveaux, François Lallier, Paul Lamache, Auguste Le Taillandier, and Ozanam, students in their early 20s. They held the charter meeting of a Conference of Charity in May 1833. During early sessions of the conference, the members soon realized that they had no experience of finding the poor. Following the advice of their first president, Bailly, they turned to Sister Rosalie, as Madame Bailly had already done. This pioneering daughter of charity lived in a neighborhood teeming with the poor and abandoned, and experimented in ways to care for them. Accepting these young volunteers, Sister Rosalie located for each a poor family to visit. She also furnished her recruits with chits for food and clothing to help these families, a practice the first conference of charity would later adopt as its own. At its founding in 1833, the conference numbered only six or seven members, but one year later, the total surpassed 100. Rules had to be drawn up to regulate the work of this uniquely lay organization. For example, during the holidays, some members declined to visit the poor in their homes, declaring it unnecessary. Ozanam responded, Gentlemen, let us not forget that the poor have no holidays. In all this, Frederick sensed himself as weak, hesitant, and nervous in the face of growing responsibilities. Although not the president of the First Conference of Charity, Bailly was, Ozanam was certainly its principal founder and guiding force. The remarkable thing was that all this was happening while Frederick was pursuing studies in law and literature. One important suggestion of his was that the single conference be divided into distinct units, linked for greater efficiency in reaching the poor. Those who wished to preserve the status quo opposed this division, but Frederick enjoyed Sister Rosalie's support. On the 24th of February, 1835, therefore, Bailly established the first two sections of the conference and published the rule for the Society of St. Vincent de Paul to use its new name on the 8th of December, 1835. To give focus to Frederick's growing interest in Vincent de Paul, Sister Rosalie nourished him with a deepened awareness of the saint's life and works. Subsequently, from these conversations with her and from his own readings, 
Frederick nourished the conferences by emphasizing Jesus Christ in the poor. The person of Vincent de Paul shines through his writings. Quote, Vincent de Paul was not the man to build on sand or for the moment. The great souls who draw nigh unto God have something of the gift of prophecy. Like all great founders, he never ceases to have his spiritual posterity alive and active amid the ruins of the past. Second, his legal career, 1836 to 1840. During the busy times of the beginnings of the society, Frederick continued his university studies. As his father had hoped, he finished his first law degree in 1834 and began to practice and teach commercial law in Lyon. There, he emphasized social issues and the new modern problems confronting the law. He continued his work for the society there and with some friends founded the first conference outside Paris. Although his life was half spent, he was still young and continued to pursue his first love, namely literature and history. This led him to return to Paris, where in 1835 he received his first degree in literature, then a doctorate in law, 1836, and a second doctorate in literature, 1839. His doctoral thesis on Dante and his subsequent studies gave new impetus to the critical study of this poet. Frederick also found time somehow to edit the Annale de la Propagation de la Foi, beginning in 1838. He wrote several articles published anonymously on the history of the foreign missions of the Church. During this period as well, he unexpectedly lost his father, 1837, and then his mother, 1839. His many exertions and studies, together with an increasing personal freedom, led him to the final period of his life in which he pursued his definitive vocation. At the beginning of 1840, Frederick received a chair in foreign literature at the Sorbonne. This was an unexpected turn of events, one that was to move him from law to charity, but not to the religious life, as some had expected. In keeping with the usages of his time, he also had time to teach secondary school pupils at the famous Collège de Stanislas in Paris. A true Frenchman, he understood that Paris was the center of France's intellectual life. Debates on philosophical topics, long a staple of French secondary and university education, were raging. In his mind, Providence placed him there, since for many years he had thought about consecrating himself to propagating the truth. He was now able to do something more about it. What he needed, however, was firm and persevering activity of a new type. In his personal life, therefore, 
Ozanam wrestled with his vocation. He explored with his friend Lacordaire the possibility of becoming a Dominican like he was. But his colleagues Lallier and Le Taillandier, fellow members of the society, had already married and were settling down to family life. Hosanam, however, still wondered whether married life was compatible with a life of good works. His old mentor from school days, Father Noiro, never wavered in his conviction that Ozanam was not cut out for the life of religious. He introduced Frederick to his future wife, Marie-Josephine Amélie Sulacroix, aged 28. His fiancée knew him as a Christian to the core. His life's program, as outlined in various of his writings, involved, quote, a tender love for God, active good works for others, and a just and inflexible conscience for oneself. He also took as his program something quite realistic and mature in its simplicity, quote, to become better, to do a little good. This was a good enough recommendation for her and so Mademoiselle Sulacroix and Professor Ozanam married in 1841. They had made a happy choice. Third, his definitive vocation, 1840 to 1853. From 1841 to 1846, Frederick developed the three main features of his mature life, the flourishing conferences, a growing love for teaching, research, and publishing, and his family. The academic life was for him not just an intellectual pursuit. He was able to animate his vocation as a university professor by exercising an habitual concern for the poor. He spent his Sundays, for example, with his friends, especially those who had been visiting the poor. Like Sister Rosalie, he took time to support the young members of the conferences. As a result, his influence spread and... Conferences of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul began in Italy, 1836, spread throughout Europe, to the Americas, the Middle East, and North Africa. By 1852, the Society numbered 2,000 conferences, with 500 outside France. In keeping with the practical Vincentian turn of his spirituality, his own visits to the poor in their homes led him to pioneering reports to the society on the social evils of his time. In his lectures, he propagated Catholic social doctrine long before this was popular. His family life was blessed by the birth of his only child, Marie. His joy is clear in a letter to Théophile Foisset on the 7th of August, 1845. Quote, after a succession of favors which determined my vocation and reunited my family, yet another is added, which is probably the greatest that we can have on earth. I am a father. Marie was the pride of his life, and he set out to devote himself to assure her education. Illness marked the years from 1847 to his death. To recover his health, the Ozanam family took several trips. During a visit to Italy, 
On the 7th of February, 1847, they had an audience with Pope Pius IX, and they talked about Ozanam's research and the burgeoning Society of St. Vincent de Paul. While traveling with his family, Frederick continued his research and publishing in Christian Latin, literature, and art. The revolutionary events of 1848, which toppled King Louis-Philippe and ushered in a second republic, interrupted somewhat the Ozanam's idyllic and productive life. The poverty which Frederick and his friends had seen at first hand was a root cause of national unrest. Frederick had, however, little to do with the revolutionaries, since he was busy with his students. Nonetheless, he continued to study the causes of poverty and to work actively with the poor. Events in Italy also brought on hardships for Pope Pius IX. Revolution in Rome necessitated his flight to the fortified seaport of Gaeta, where he remained from 1848 to 1850. Ozanam supported the papal cause in France in his addresses and writings. While journeying again to Italy in 1852, Frederick visited the birthplace of St. Vincent de Paul. He reported to his friend Alexandre Dufieux, quote, there, in Puy, we saw the old oak under which St. Vincent de Paul, the boy shepherd, took shelter while herding his flock. That fine old tree is now held to the soil only by the bark, which is eaten into with age. But the branches are superb, and even at the advanced season when we were there, the foliage was beautifully green. I saw in it the type of the foundations of St. Vincent de Paul, which have no apparent bond of union with earth, but which nevertheless triumph over time and grow strong during revolution. Frederick delighted in telling his brother Charles that the pastor of the village, engaging in an act of vandalism incomprehensible today, had had a branch of that ancient tree cut down for him. On this trip, Ozanam recounted another incident to his friend Lallier. At the shrine of Notre-Dame de Biglos, where St. Vincent had once gone on pilgrimage with his family, Frederick had gone to confession to a holy priest. His simplicity and charity immediately reminded Ozanam of St. Vincent de Paul. The priest spoke only of sufferings to endure patiently, of resignation and submission to the will of God, quote, however hard that may be. Such language surprised Ozanam, as he was feeling quite well at the time. The saintly confessor's advice, however, was to come true in the last few months of life remaining to Ozanam. Once he arrived in Italy, he declined and gradually had to bid farewell to his life's work. Fading hopes for recovery led his family to have him take ship for his home in France. He died en route, however, in Marseille on the 8th of September, 1853. He was only 40 years old. By one of history's strange coincidences, he died on the birthday of his collaborator, Sister Rosalie Rondu. The strengths of his personality, 
his virtues stand out in the events of his life. First, one notices his sensitivity to the sufferings of others. Instead of succumbing to the fashionable sentimentality of his time, he turned instead to action, following the lead of Vincent de Paul. He visited the poor and served poor persons whom he could call by name. He offered them such help as he could and set himself, following his scholarly training, to examine the causes of their indigence. Further, he extended his care to his companions in caregiving. His teaching was, according to the testimony of those who attended his popular lectures, full of practical wisdom. Second, he exhibited, as he promised, a great care for the truth in the church as well as in society. His writings attest to this commitment of his. Third, his love for his family and friends was deep and genuine. To be sure, sensitive charity, practical wisdom, care for the truth, and love of family are not the classic cardinal or moral virtues of the philosophers and theologians. That discussion is best left to others. What does appear from even a cursory acquaintance with Frederick Ozanam is a strong Christian witness, a virtuous man, a saint. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Incension Heritage Podcast. If you have any questions, please send them to mission.depaul at gmail.com. Be sure to check out all the other Vincentian family resources on our website, mission.depaul.edu.